straight into the teaching for today. We'll be studying uh, Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, and I will read it from beginning to the end. Proverbs chapter 24. Don't envy evil people or desire their company, for their acts plot violence, and their words always stir up trouble. A house is built by wisdom, and become strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. The wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger. So don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Wisdom is too lofty for fools. Among leaders at the city gates, they have nothing to say. A person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. The schemes of a fool are sinful. Everyone detests a mocker. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all Arts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you well. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. My child, eat honey, for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future, and your hopes will not be cut short. Don't wait in ambush at the home of the godly. And don't raid the house where the godly live. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked. For evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. My child, fear the Lord and the King. Don't associate with rebels. For disaster will hit them suddenly. Who knows what punishment will come from the Lord and the King? Here are some further sayings of the wise. It is wrong to show favoritism, favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered on them. An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Do your, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll, even, I'll get even with them. I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then, as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on such a person like a bandit. Scarcity will attack such a person like an armed robber. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word in the name of Jesus. Okay, so as we normally do uh, when, when we want to study uh, this, in, in this series, we will take different verses and, I mean, put them together. And um, I, I took a set of verses there and I titled it The, the, the Good. I took another set and I titled it The Bad. And immediately I just remember that film that we used to watch in the, in the 80s, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So I started looking through the scripture, looking for ugly, but I didn't find script. The ones I could uh, I could tag as ugly. So we'll just be studying the good and the bad, and um, there's some other topics also. When we get there, we'll talk about it. Or oh, people don't know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Aha! You people know it good. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we start out with um, verses um, one and two. It says, "Don't envy." evil people or desire their company. For their hearts plan plot violence and their words stir up trouble. It says a person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. Don't fret because of evil doers. Don't envy. Don't fret because of evil doers. Don't envy the wicked. For evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Praise the Lord. I'm sure a lot of us, especially, in, I mean, in, you know, Pastor says it regularly that uh, this world is broken. And uh, if the entire world is broken, maybe Nigeria is even broken twice. Praise the Lord. So we probably have people around us that we can relate to and say, okay, ah, if I was to tag anybody evil or if I was to tag anybody wicked, there are people that we can identify with, you know. And uh, the truth is that because of the nature of the world today, a number of times it appears that these people that we call wicked or evil, it appears to us like things are working well for them. Right? I mean, we can relate to this, right? You know, when we see these people, you are struggling with your understanding of how God works. That, ah, this guy is not doing the right thing. I mean, the office with this guy is perpetually collecting bribe, but... I mean, in the last two, three years, he has built two houses, and I'm still here trying to, struggling to pay rent. How does this add up? How does this work? You know, and I mean, and those are like everyday struggles that we face nowadays, especially if you are trying to live straight in a broken world. If you are trying to live straight, if you are trying to do the right thing, we, the, the world, we're just surrounded by all of this kind of people. The Bible is saying that we should not envy them. We should not envy them. It says the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. You know, the last time I, uh, um, I, I asked an opening question about our leaders in Nigeria, saying that, okay, if uh, God is the one directing the hearts of kings and princes, and he directs it as a water course, any direction that he wants to, and God means well for us. So the question is, is it God that is directing our leaders in Nigeria? And it was, every, the, the whole room was quiet. Because it's a struggle. And it's the same thing that we're still relating with today. That if God is saying, their light will be snuffed out. 
Are we seeing this light being snuffed out? Are we seeing them uh, reaping the, 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 the words of their, of their evil? And this is a struggle. But you see, the, the, the comfort for me, or what I'm beginning to understand about God is that because we work, we live and we, we reason based on a, a time, a particular time space, time span. Maybe as we are sitting here, the best of us will live up to 150 years old. Amen. 150 years old is probably like a second with God. So when God is saying something about any matter, he's not thinking about time. He's just saying that no matter what, this is what, this is how it will end. So when God is saying here that don't envy evil people or desire their company, don't, that, um, the, the verse 20 says, for evil people have no future. God knows what he's saying. He's just giving us an assurance that, look, there is no road there. Don't follow them because there is no future. How many evil people do we know that have trans- transgenerational wealth? It's a struggle. I, I, I mean, I actually thought about it deeply as I was coming. As I was like, where? I can't remember. I, can't, I don't know. Not in Nigeria, not abroad. Because the Bible, the words of God cannot be broken. There will, they will have no future. This is what verse 20 says. Verse 21 says, My child, fear the Lord and the king. Don't associate with rebels. It says, fear the Lord and the king. I asked myself, the Lord and the king, fear. So, what this is speaking to here is authority. The way you will fear God the Bible is telling us also that you should fear your king like that. Because it is God that puts him there. I used to be guilty of the people, the, I, I mean, uh, the people that, uh, I used to be guilty of abusing our leaders when I feel that they have not done what they, are, they ought to do. But a few months ago when I understood some of these things we, talk, we talked about today, I stopped, I repented, and I stopped. I may still not agree with what they're doing, but it won't generate, and I might confront some of the issues as best as I can, as, uh, whatever opportunity I get, but it should not degenerate to the point of abuse and insults, because then you are crossing the line. The Bible is making us clear. It says, my child, fear the Lord and the king. Putting it together, the Lord and the king. Meaning that the kind of reverence you should give to the Lord is the kind of reverence you should give to your king. Don't associate with rebels. For disaster will hit them suddenly. Who knows what punishment will come from the Lord and the king? Whatever it is that God chooses to make to happen to the evil people or to those that are in rebellion... It is God alone that determines it. But the assurance is that it will not end well with them. And when we're talking about this authority, I want to refer all of us, uh, especially those of us that maybe are not workers here. Uh, I think it was a previous uh, workers um, summit. The pastor advised us, instructed all of us, that we should read the book undercover. You know, um, I read the book, and believe you me, it opened my eyes onto 
a new revelation of understanding of authority. A lot of times when we struggle to obey authority, it's simply because we, 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 we think that uh, obeying authority is bondage or it locks us down or it ties us down. doesn't enable us to reason. Reading that book made me to understand that obeying authority actually sets me free. It sets me free. Gives me freedom, freedom from responsibility of who my lead, of what of carrying the responsibility of my leader, and when we understand that, it frees us, it frees our minds, and allows us to be able to function as God wants us to function. So, if you are here, you're not a worker, you haven't read that book. It's a good, it's a very very good book that I would recommend to anybody that wants to in, uh, up their game in their work with God. Praise the Lord. Undercover by. Uh, is a, book by John Bevere, John Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E. Praise God. All right, we move on to the next section, the good. <laughs> Verse 15 and 16 says, don't wait in ambush at the home of the godly and don't raid the house where the godly live. Hallelujah. We've talked about evil. Bible, the same scripture is saying, don't wait in the ambush at the home of the godly. It's an instruction. Don't raid the house where the godly live. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. That's very comforting for me. The godly will, will, may trip, may fall down, may stumble seven times, but they will get up again. As sure as, the, as God is saying that there is no future for the evil, the same certainty. God is saying that if you are godly and you fall down, you will rise again. That's comforting for me. Very comforting. And it goes further to emphasize what is happening to the evil again. It says, but one disaster is enough to overflow the weak, to overthrow the wicked. Just one. So as a, as, a, as a godly person, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you have challenges which we are all going to have which will always come. We have the challenges. We fall down. The Bible says, you will rise. You fall down, you will rise. You fall down, you will rise. But the wicked falls down once and is gone. Which side do you want to be? Which side would you rather be? It's very comforting for me when I was reading, and I was now thinking about it. I said, okay, so what is it that will make... The wicked to fall down once and is gone. And the Christian or the, the godly person to fall down once, second time, third time, up to seven times and he keeps rising. is because as a godly person, as a Christian, you would have built character. The character ends up, your character, your relationships, your friends, that you have built over time and your faith that you have developed in yourself, your, the resilience, the, the, the fighting spirit of a, war, of a Christian that you would have ends up being like a cushion for you each time such that when you fall, you never fall down flat. Praise God. When you fall, you never fall down flat and out. You fall down to rise again. You fall down to rise and rise better. If, if I was to draw a chart, I mean, if, if, if the chart was uh, maybe starting from air 
and there was the wicked. The wicked, to our eyes, appears like he's doing well and he's going on and on and on and everything seems to be working well. The Bible says, one disaster, gone. But if the chart was that, to chart that of a, Christ, uh, of a godly person, it, it goes as the challenge drops. Goes, rises, it goes above where it was before. Because you know why? As a godly person, he's not walking alone. He's walking with Christ. He's learned his lessons. He has, the mistakes he's made, or the, the things that made him to fall, he has learned from it. It may even be sin, but he has learned from it. He has repented. So what does he do? He rises now. When he's rising, he's rising above where he was before. Something new, something, a new challenge. The enemy throws at him. He falls again, but it never falls to the level he was before. Then he goes on rising again. And he goes on rising again. Meaning every time he's even rising, he's going higher and higher and getting better and better. Amen. And how is he able to do that? Because as a godly person, he's never alone. Wicked people never... I mean, if, you, if you're a godly person, a good godly person, Christian, if you have people around you, usually there will be people like you. People that are godly. People that have character. People that are faithful. People that will be a support for you. People that will be a pillar for you when you need them. If a wicked person falls, if he looks around, he won't see anybody. Why? Because most people that surround them are people like them. Praise the Lord. So it's assuring for me. It's a big assurance for me when, when it's, and, and God is saying, don't wait. It's an instruction. Again, from God says, don't wait in ambush at the home of the godly. And don't raid the house where the godly live. Why God is saying that? Because I am there. If you come, you're in trouble. If you come, I am in, you're in trouble. Praise God. It never ends, now you're feeling that place. It says it never ends well for the evil person. And it always ends well for the godly person. For the good person. Amen. It never ends well for the evil person. It always ends well for the good person. Praise God. Okay, next section. It says true strength comes from wisdom. Next section says true strength comes from wisdom. Verse 3 and 4. Um, verse 3 says, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. True knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Good sense requires you to think true. Because it's one thing to be wise and have the ability to be able to build a house. But it, it doesn't end. It never ends at the point of just being able, being able to build. You have to actually, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was reading the book of Solomon. And the Bible makes us understand, of course, we know, that God gave Solomon wisdom beyond his age, beyond his time. But going to um, verse 4, 2 Kings, yeah, 2 Kings uh, verse 4, chapter 4 rather. The Bible makes us understand that Solomon had so much knowledge that he was sharing information about all sorts of trees, was sharing information about all sorts of plants, all sorts of advanced knowledge that he, that he had gathered. He was sharing with anybody, that, with the kings that used to visit him, and everybody used to troop to him to come and learn at his feet. 
Now, all those things he was sharing wasn't, wasn't wisdom. It was based on knowledge that he gathered. Wisdom can direct you to where to gather knowledge. But knowledge is, you get knowledge on a matter when you have studied and developed competence on that matter. If you are a very wise medical doctor, that does not mean automatically that you understand engineering. You have to learn if you want to become an engineer. When you learn, you now gather knowledge. We're saying, the Bible is saying here that true knowledge, so wisdom can, make, uh, can, can help you to build, you can build your house, but knowledge is what fills the place. So what area, how are you developing yourself right now? To fill the house, how are you developing yourself? Praise God. Verse 5 says, the wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger. So, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. A lot of us still want to do Lone Ranger. We want to do, run this life alone. It's, 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 a, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Learn from Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And when they were in the wilderness, he was their leader. And they used to bring all matters to him to judge. And he was wearing him out morning to night. They would run a long queue. All the matters, you stole my spoon, you stole my scissors. Your, your, your son kicked my pot of soup when I wasn't there. And they used to bring all that matter. Oh, you, you stole my cow. You stole my sheep. All sorts of matters they were bringing to him. And they would form a long queue every day. Until his father-in-law saw him and said, Ah, oh, guy, guy, it doesn't work this way. Now, today we might look back and say, Ah, it's, it's called delegation in management. That's what they call it today. It looks simple. But guess what? At that time, it hadn't been done. He did not know that it existed. And likewise, no matter how smart we think we are today, there are still challenges or situations that we will face in life that we have not experienced it. But guess what? Some other people around us have experienced it. And for them, it's a piece of meat. Very easy to solve. Instead of us trying to crack our head and trying to reinvent the wheel, simply ask. Ask for advice. Ask for advice. I play, I play tennis. I've been playing for some years now. And I think I have a very good forehand. I think I have a very good forehand. And, but my backhand is terribly weak. I know. So I do a lot of running around to the balls that I should normally just play with my backhand. I run with my back, forehand, trying to pick it up my back. So it's a struggle and makes me do extra work. So a couple of weeks ago, I just decided, look, let me learn this thing and just get it over with. And I called someone, and we fixed the time on the tennis court. And he, seemed, he just showed me what I needed to do. And even that day, the so-called tennis coach that was teaching me, that day, he struggled, he beat me eventually, but he struggled. You know, simply because he taught me something that I've been playing tennis for six years, seven years, I can't remember now. 
but I just never bothered to learn. I felt it was too too difficult. You know, when I see uh, Federa, it's just means I said, no, that one is not for me. Let me just focus on my forehand. It simply taught me the technique and showed me what I needed to do. Boom! Became so effortless. And I was like, how have I been suffering myself this long period? And a lot of us have scenarios like that in our lives. It could be in our business. It could be in our marriage. That we're facing challenges that we think is unique to us. We learned on Sunday. There's nothing new under the sun. Open your mouth and ask for help. Open your mouth and ask for advice. The advice can come from anybody. Anybody. There was a time I, I, I had a business, um, a challenge in business, and I needed guidance on what to do. I looked at one of my house fellowship members who was doing very well, and I was initially feeling like, oh, I'm the pastor, I'm in charge, this guy is just the church member. I cannot be asking him about business. I should be the one that should be giving him counsel. When I asked him, one simple solution like this, boom, problem solved. Problem solved. Humble yourself. If you have to ask a child for help, if your child knows better than you on that matter, ask. Just ask. It won't kill you. At worst case, it will make you better. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, now, why don't a lot of people ask? I think the, 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 a lot of people, why do people struggle with advice? Why do people struggle with asking questions or asking for help? I think verse 7 actually answers that. It says, wisdom is too lofty for fools. Wisdom is too heavy for fools. Wisdom is too big for fools. Meaning that fools think that asking for help is not worth it. It's too heavy. That's what the Bible says. We shouldn't be like fools. We are wise people in the mighty name of Jesus. And we will continually be wise in the name of Jesus. Verse 9 says, The schemes of a fool are sinful. Everyone detests a mocker. Verse 10, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Pressure comes in all forms to every man. When I'm playing tennis, the pressure is on my backhand. Every one of us faces pressure. It could be in your business, it could be in your finances, it could be in your marriage, it could be in your home, it could be in your relationship, it could be at, at work. We all face pressure. It could be in your community. It could be in your... <laughs> I stay in the block of flats. A neighbor came to wake me up at 3 a.m. one night that he wanted to park his car because he was just coming from club. I got out of my car. I saw it out of the house at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. He saw me. He could not even say sorry for waking you up. He just looked at me like, Oga, why, why didn't you park well so that I can park? 3 a.m. That's pressure. Because I felt like insulting him. I be, uh, I, I, am, I the only, am, I, am I okay? Am I okay to be upset at 3 a.m.? That uh, someone should be in his house, sleeping. 
He went to club, had fun. I'm trying to catch some snooze. Ordinary, sorry I woke you up. He couldn't even say he's abusing me again. Praise the Lord. So we all face pressure. Question is, what do you do when you face pressure? What do you do when you are under pressure? What do you do? Physical strengths. Okay. Yeah. Physical strengths can't, 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 can't conquer pressure. Saying that you are strong can never conquer pressure. When pressure comes, what you need to do is to think clearly. What you need to do is to apply pressure. Physical strength can never break the pressures of life. Only wisdom can. Only wisdom. So when you're under pressure, what you need to do is to stop and think. Stop and apply wisdom. And wisdom comes in always. If you are facing financial pressure right now, GFH Academy is starting this Saturday. Perfect opportunity for you to tap into, pre- into GFH Academy to solve all your financial pressure. You are not going to be taught how to eat fish. You are not going to be taught alone how to catch fish. You are going to be taught how to own the pond. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about you, but I am. Because it's, I mean, enough is enough. This poverty must go. Uh, amen. So if you have not registered for GFH Academy, please go online and do so ASAP. Praise the Lord. Verse 11 and 12 talks about the reason why God gave you wisdom. God gave you wisdom so, number, number 11, verse 11 says, so that we can rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know, for God understands all hearts and he sees you. He, he who guards your souls knows you knows you knew it will repay all people as their actions deserve. Another way of describing it is that when you see someone that is in trouble, we say it's none of my business. Let me leave and just it doesn't concern me. God is saying that He's giving you wisdom so that you can use that wisdom to help those that need help. I agree, it's not all matters that you must choke your mouth, you put your head. Yes. But there are some that even you, your conscience will tell you, you need to intervene in this. Intervene. Step in. Be the the voice for those that don't have a voice. Help help for those that that can't help themselves. Save them as they stagger to their deaths. That's what the scripture says. I mean, and, and this is not just people physically dying. There are people that need help uh, academically. There are people that need help medically. There are people that need help in their career. They just need guidance. Don't turn your eyes away and say it doesn't concern you. 
if God has given you wisdom, it is not for you to benefit yourself alone. Look for who you can use it to help. And God will lift you higher as you do so in the name of Jesus. Verse 13 says, My child, eat honey, for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you will have a bright future, and your hopes will not be cut short. God wants, I mean, we all know honey. You know how, how sweet honey is, right? Honey is sweet. I, I, it's an amazing thing that God just created that's just sweet like that and, super, uh, and just good like that. And God is saying, eat honey, for it is good. And the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. What that means is that God is saying, look, take enjoyment and enjoy it. Enjoy life. Enjoy life and don't be ashamed about it. Don't feel, like, don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad that you're enjoying life. Enjoy your life. If you have worked for it, you have worked for it, you have earned it. Enjoy yourself. Eat the honeycomb. God wants you to enjoy the life so that the life will radiate your glory and other people will see it and see that your life is a testimony and they want to be like it. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no good news in you, be, in you being gloomy for Christ. There's no, good, there's no good news in that. The good news is in you radiating your life in such a way that it's, it's, it's attractive to other people that don't know Christ. Verse 17 says, Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. Now, this got me thinking. It says, don't rejoice when your enemies, your own enemies, when they fall. God's saying, don't rejoice. Hmm. That's deep. So should you, be, should you be crying for your enemies when they fall? Well, usually we want them to fall, right? But God is saying, don't rejoice. You know why? Because those so-called enemies of yours, whether you believe it or not, are also children of God. God created them. I shared this example with my prayer members, uh, the people in the prayer team, and um, some of them, some of us struggled with it. So I'm going to share it also, uh, and I, I want a, a response from everybody. Okay. So um, the Boko Haram terrorists. We know them, right? They rape young girls. They kill. They, they, they slaughter people for no reason. They, just because they say you are not a Muslim, they call you infidel. and They just do all sorts. And that's very bad, right? How many of us feel that they deserve to go to hell? Show of hand. Show of hand. Now, if you feel that they deserve to go to hell, okay, if you feel they deserve to go to heaven, show of hand. Okay, you don't know, show of hand. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
a lot of us feel they deserve to go to hell. They should be judged. When I shared it with my group, someone said that their own hell should even be a special one, reserved with extra heat. And that's how they felt, and that's how I, I felt also. Now, tell me, Apostle Paul, how is it different from Boko Haram before he got converted? Hello? Anybody? If, if you were to describe him as Boko Haram, would you be wrong? But guess what? Because he was a child of God and he yielded to God, God still used him. And today, more than half of the New Testament is written by him. And we are all benefits of, beneficiaries of it. What's my point? The so-called Boko Haram that deserves to go to hell, according to us, all the judges and uh, people that are sitting down here, according to us, all of them that we feel deserve to go to hell, guess what? They are also children of God. And I think that's why God is saying here in the, in the scriptures that we should not rejoice when our enemies fall down. Because it, we may be happy, but God is the one that created them. God is sad. We should actually switch to as best as we even, even though it is important that we defend ourselves if, for instance, we are attacked by them. But we should actually switch more to God to change them. Because we don't know the Pauls, the Apostle Pauls that is amongst them today, preparing the way for the next generation. We don't know. Praise God. That's deep, eh? It's, it's tough to accept. Amen. Verse 23, more sayings of the wise. It is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be caused by many people and denounced by the nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered on them. This is a statement of fact by, uh, by God. If you see the wicked, you declare them innocent. You will be caused by many people and denounced by the nations. When I was growing up, my own time, when I was growing up as a child, primary school, secondary school, in the 70s and the 80s, I would say to be a lawyer, to be a judge, was one of the things that people used to strive to be. How many of your children sitting out here today wants to be a judge? You know why? Because most of the living examples are the type. Today in Nigeria, I'm talking about Nigeria. Most of the living examples of the judges today that we have in Nigeria are the chi- type that is saying to the wicked, you are innocent. And, it's, and because of that, they are caused by many people and denounced by the nations. They are not a role model. They are not, they are not people to look forward to. Those in Nigeria, for example, I mean, specifically. And that's something that we need to correct. Praise God. 
It will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered on them. Verse 26, we're moving on. Verse 26 says, An honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. And an honest answer is very soothing. Very soothing. When, when, you, when you ask a question and someone answers you honestly, genuinely, without any abracadabra or paparazzi to join it, when someone answers you genuinely, honestly, it's soothing. There's a feeling that you get when you get an honest answer from, for, 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 for a probe, for a question. Bible describes it as a kiss of friendship. Verse 27 says, Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Luke 14, 28 to 32 he says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if, he, and if he can't, there's no shame in it. He will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Can you see wisdom in that? In planning? When you know the cost of what you're about to enter, in Yoruba, I will say no kotora. I mean, what that means directly is that price it before you buy it. You want to venture on a project, know the full cost. The full cost doesn't necessarily mean just the financial cost. It could be your time cost. It could be your 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 your. your uh, yeah, your time cost is big. A lot of people ignore that. You want to go on a project, you are not sure, you, you are not sitting down to ask yourself, do you have the time to commit on this project? You just say, okay, how much is it going to cost? Then you now get halfway, you begin to struggle. There's no shame in sitting down to count your cost, and there's no shame if you cannot afford something. There's no shame in it. It is what it is. It doesn't make you good, doesn't make you bad. It just says it is what it is. Amen. Verse 28 and 29 says, Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say, Now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. My neighbor that came to wake me up at 3 a.m., to relocate my car. I can decide to block his uh, park awkwardly the next time. Then when he presses the bell, I won't even bother to come out. Let him do his worst. That's what the Bible is speaking against there. Don't say now I can pay them back. Vengeance is the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, 35 and Romans 12, 17 to 19. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. That's what God says. Leave vengeance for him. In due time, their feet will slip. 
their day of disaster will arrive and their destiny will overtake them. You know what? If you take, if you take ownership of fighting for yourself to avenge yourself, you will be the bad person. You'll be the person they will point at. You know, there's, one, there's something, um, there's a big, uh, amongst the, the, the mafias, the, the gangs, you know, Mr. A is a gang leader in one gang, and Mr. B is another gang leader. So Mr. A and B have a clash. A kills Mr. B. Mr. B dies. Mr. B has a son who is young. Mr. B's son, young, Mr. B's son <laughs> grows up and becomes an adult and remembers that Mr. A killed his father and goes after Mr. A, successfully kills Mr. A. Mr. A too has a young son. Then the young son too grows up and goes after Mr. B's grandson and just becomes an endless cycle and they keep decimating each other on and on and on and on. That's the way of the world. The Bible says, leave vengeance for God. You know why? When God fights for you, there's no grandson that can come and say you are the bad person. Because the matter will be rested there. When God rises up to be the one to fight for you, Romans 12, 17 to 19, let's say, it says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. God doesn't need your help to avenge. As his job. Praise God. Verse 30. Finally, verse 30 says, I walk by the field of a lazy person. The vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. And its walls were broken down. There's, a, there's an adage in Yoruba that actually describes this verse 30 and 31. He says, Bolo de Uku, Oju de Okinuko. Who knows that? Has anybody heard that before? Okay. Bolo de Uku, Oju de Okinuko, meaning that if the owner of the house is not dead, if he's still alive, the front of his house should not grow weeds. That's what the Bible is also talking about here. I'll read it again. It says, I walk by the field of a lazy person. The vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. And its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and I thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep. A little more slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. A pressing of the snooze on that phone when the alarm rings. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you. Like an armed robber, not you in the mighty name of Jesus. So, what is this scripture telling me? It's saying that there's a direct correlation with, the, with laziness and the amount of sleep that you sleep. There's a direct correlation. 
if you open your outline there, there should be a chart. I think, I hope the chart can also be on the screen. Um, no, I, didn't, I don't remember telling them to cut it out. Okay, great. If you can, if you can show that chart. I, I, I mean, I just went to time.com and I saw this chart. And, and I feel it can be like a guide to help us. So look at just your age. Um, your age, the hours of sleep is the vertical and the horizontal is your age group. So look at your age and this chart just gives you a guide of the amount of sleep that you need per day. Anything beyond this, you are moving closer to laziness. So if you are a teenager and you are sleeping more than 10 hours a day, every extra hour above that max, above the upline of 10 is what? Gravitation towards laziness. If you are a matured adult, you don't need more than nine hours maximum every day. Let me break that nine hours down to you. Nine hours simply means that if you sleep at nine, maximum if you sleep at nine, latest you must wake up at six. Anything beyond that, lazy. If you sleep at nine and wake up at ten, ha! That one is, I don't know what to call that one. That's Superman of lazy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, but you know, there's some people that can do that. They sleep, we wake up, and they say, ah, I'm tired, I need more sleep. Scriptures is telling us that when we sleep, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, poverty, pounce. Do you know what that means? Poverty will pounce like, ah, I don't catch you. That will not be your own portion in the name of Jesus. Scarcity will attack like a bandit, like a armed robber. Ah, that's fearful. So look at the chart very well tonight. It's in your outline. Take it home. Go and ask yourself. Do yourself a favor. Maybe even reduce it. So if you're an adult, for instance, they say, the lower limit is seven. Work with seven or even stretch it to six. What that gives you is that you have more time to be useful during the day. To do stuff. To fulfill your destiny. Your destiny is not to sleep. As an adult, if you, if you sleep 12 hours a day, ah, that means half of your lifetime, when you get to heaven, you will say you are sleeping. They will ask you how many dreams you did dream to. You have to remember all of them. Praise God. Sleep and laziness are directly proportional. Excessive sleeping empowers poverty. You will not empower poverty. You will sleep appropriately in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Take